This is the Payback Time Podcast, where we interview driven individuals who have achieved or are well on their way to achieving financial freedom. We break down the steps required to generate leveraged income, including but not limited to stock investing, online business, traditional business, and real estate. Each episode breaks down the mistakes made, victories achieved, and the overall journey that led them to where they are today. Sean Tepper is your host, and here is today's episode. My next guest is a serial entrepreneur that has built multiple businesses around Amazon FBA. He also co-founded a tactical board game that ended up raising over $75,000 on Kickstarter within 24 hours. He recently sold his shares in that business to move on to bigger and better ventures, but his story is really incredible. Please welcome Sean Cannon. Sean, how's it going? Hey, I'm good, man. All right, let's start the timeline. So you've got this experience around FBA. You've definitely built multiple businesses around FBA. And for those that don't know, that's fulfillment by Amazon. Is that correct? Correct, yes. Right. So let's talk about when did you start this? Give us the year. Six years ago, 2014, I think, is when, is when this okay. thing began. Um, and that's where it w- we fell into it, right? So it wasn't like something that I was seeking opportunity for i think just in general i'm more or less an opportunist how that's how we actually had initial connection i was a financial advisor you know so so i was doing right. that um um my girlfriend at the time or it's still my girlfriend i shouldn't say at the, at the time then and still at the time now uh wanted to um get out of her position at work they weren't treating her right she did really well she was very being very underserved um, sure. so we were coming up with business ideas and a, a friend of mine um, was selling on Amazon. So then I just asked him a couple questions. And then so we start. We just started. <laughs> wait, 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 there you wait. go. Did you take out some kind of loan or did you keep your practice going with financial planning so you could have some kind of runway with FBA? Uh, How did yeah. you do this? Yeah. So when you're, when you're a financial advisor, you have to have a lot of r- approval to work outside of the of financial services. And, and so I, was only, I, I had got permission to work four hours four hours a month <laughs> on this. So there was a lot of stuff that I was doing from home and whatnot. The biggest, the biggest transition for me was I got into a position where I was able to work, do my job at home, where I just tran- transitioned a lot of meeting people in person, just talking on the phone and doing webinars and web meetings and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me then to stretch those four hours a month a lot longer, building this thing up, talking with China, getting all the yep. deals that we needed to get done to get this wrong. So yeah, there was, I was working, we were working 15 to sometimes 20 hours a day in those first, uh, we, uh, for almost nine months, it was, it, wow. was, I mean, it built into that obviously, but we, from the time we started till when, when, uh, Becky initially, re- uh, resigned her job and then I decided to resign the same day, uh, was nine months later. And then nice. There, yeah. Did you set like, like a benchmark goal as far as revenue to generate with FBA before you both took the leap or? Oh, in those days, even now, I mean, well now it's way more structured because I, you just, I've just learned all the lessons that I, that I needed to learn. Sure. You know, so for me, I, I always wanted big, like whatever it was, it was like, I had to be able to see, can I make, and at the time, at the time the goal was smaller. Now it's just astronomical. But like at the time I was like, Hey, you know, can I get this to make a hundred thousand dollars a year? 
you know, you know, and if I can make that, if I can make a good hundred thousand dollars a year, I'm living comfortably. So I was viewing it not so much at that point as a business, but more or less, I still had that mentality. That's like uh, that self-employed type of mentality where I'm just going to change what I'm doing here over here. And now this is how I want to be able to make money. So I wanted to be able to scale into that. Obviously the scale went, went beyond that, but that was my motivation in terms of the in, uh, money, how we started at that. Uh, uh, we, I never put a dime of my own. I never, I will never invest my own personal money into my ventures. And that's that there's one specific reason uh, for that is I'm very emotionally tied to my own money. And I, and I, I think of it differently, not that I'm flippant with other people's money. I'm very careful about how I invest their money and use their money, but I'm able to focus on the actual tasks rather than the, I don't, I don't have to deal with the fear of loss at that point anymore. I, I, I only have a ambition to be able to work off of. So we took out a $5,000 line of uh, credit through capital one. Um, and then that's when we, we bought our first uh, uh, lot of merchandise from China. Um, you might remember, maybe not. It was a water mm-hmm. Bluetooth speaker. Uh, yep. And that was our, our launch into that. And, you know, there we are. That's awesome. And a lot of people who are serial entrepreneurs or capitalists, they do the same thing. OPM, other people's money. Yeah. So you're not yeah. risking your own life savings. It's just, it's the better way to go. You put the risk on yeah. another entity. In most cases, you put the risk on Capital One, which is yeah. smart. Yes. And now, and now, now I use just flat out investors. So I give up percentages of my business and whatnot. I find that to be a little bit better. And it's, it's, it's more challenging because you have to have a good idea that is worthy of somebody saying, that's a good idea. That's something mm-hmm. I can't do on my own. Uh, here's money. Cause I really believe that you're going to be able to take this money and make way more, right. way more money with it. So that's the, that's the, the significant challenge, making sure that you have a product of value that people sight unseen are like, that's a good idea. You know, I'll do yep. that. Yeah. And you've proven the concept that you can execute on something and generate revenue. So that builds confidence for those investors and for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Let's get into the details of the first products. How did you know what was the best product or a good product that would sell? Like what kind of research strategy did you have there? Well, it it molded over time, right? So uh, if we're, if we're going to go back to where, where we were six years ago, um, at the time, we had a, a partner who's no longer with the, with the company, and her job was to do that. She had worked at her company looking for, uh, they were doing uh, a tchotchke merchandise for like Wells Fargo and McDonald's and stuff like that. Sure. So I was, what's a real good seller? And that's how we got into the speakers. Now, what I learned was what you don't want to look for the best sellers. I think that's a, a, a big thing that a lot of people are looking after because there's this theory or it's not a theory. It's just this relative idea that if this guy did it, clearly if I do it too, I'm going to be successful as well. So we were tracking these Bluetooth speakers online and they were selling two, 300 a day. So I was like, man, we're going to do really well because if we hop on there, those sales are going to, the pie doesn't divide even. That's the first mistake that most entrepreneurs make when they're analyzing uh, that type of stuff. So it, it, it took a while, but, but from there, then we realized early on that we needed to differentiate ourselves by actually providing value and offering a brand that people can like, as opposed to an individual, like what's the winning product. And then from there, it progressed into finding an audience. Let's find the audience first. Let's see what the audience needs and what type of product can we have the most value 
you know, for them. So then that way, day one, you know, we're, there's no, there's no second guessing. We're going to become a success sure. because we are, we already know what people want. So. When you were the first person I've ever heard about actually building a brand through FBA, because everybody else I've talked to is all about picking a product and selling that product, not actually building the brand. Yeah. And, to their detriment, because what what, ha- what happens there is when you do that, then then you're always thinking about what's the next product, and now you yep. got guys that are selling this product and that product, and there's no what what happens then is the opportunity will collapse when that platform collapses or when that platform transitions away from their need, and now they just have this like what like I bought this on on Amazon, right? So I, I don't know what what like this just was kind of novel, right? But I, it didn't matter the brand of this whatsoever. And they didn't even do a good job of branding. This helps me drink a hundred ounces, ounces a day. Right. So that was the novel factor of it. But when I was on Amazon, I could have picked of anybody, but like the guy that would develop a brand, he would have a whole better feeling behind this. Maybe this would look good. Maybe it would resonate some type of thing. Maybe it would be more adaptable to like me making sure I'm alive or, you know, whatever it is. Right. Vitamin C, there's a million times of types of vitamin C, but if I'm sick versus when my kid is sick and I'm going to buy vitamin C, I'm buying the vitamin C that's a, the brand is built around this, the person that's using it. So yeah, yeah, we, we are very brand dependent when it comes to, yep. comes to selling. So when somebody buys through you on Amazon, are you able to collect their information like email address? That information is becoming less and less and less and less at, at the time there, mm-hmm. uh, you can message them, uh, through uh, Amazon's messaging, but you never actually got their their true email. Um, there, you uh, at a time you're able to see pretty much all the rest of their information: their phone number, their uh, uh, address, who they were, and then there's no private concerns of privacy because they were buying. But what was happening, as everybody would, you want to nurture, you want your own audience, right? So we would sure. collect data develop our own audience, but Amazon sees it different. Amazon sees it as their customer, so now that information is dramatically uh, limited. There was a time where you could take that information and, and give it to a guy, and then he would, uh, um, like, I don't know, I don't, I can't remember what the word, the terminology is for, it, but he could find their email if it was available publicly online, similar to like, uh, interesting, um, similar to like Zoom Info or something like that when you're trying to look up some executive. Sure. Yeah. Email. So it was, it was something like that, but now it's it's not that at all. So now my focus is building brands outside of Amazon and using Amazon to just as an additional platform. So that's smart. I was going to say you're kind of boxed into the Amazon business model and stuck there. So if you build your own brand and go at that tactic, yeah, you can then sell through other channels, social media, so on and so forth. So that's awesome. Okay. Um, So if you're not focusing on the high priced items to sell, how do you determine a product that's going to be a good fit. Obviously you're going for maximum profitability. Um, what is your strategy there? You, you, you have to think about the, the, the audience first, right? So it's like, so a lot of times when people have this product idea, they're trying to like just force, they're trying to sell. I don't feel like I sell you. You know what I mean? Like I never feel like sure. I, I, I sell. I, 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 here's the pictures, here's the benefits. If you fit the need, let's, let's, let's have a talk. Right. So, so, I want, you know, like, so one of a product that we had at one point, I was just at dinner. I was at dinner in Minneapolis and it was this little thumb depressor, salt and pepper thumb depressor. And I was like, that's really novel. I was like, I've never seen that before right now. I, I, you look it up and it's not really anywhere. 
And, you know, what, I just sent the picture over to China and a couple months later, we had that problem because it's, it's, solving, it's solving a problem. You know, like, hey, you want ground pepper or, or ground salt, uh, but you don't necessarily want this big, huge thing. You know, maybe you just want something to just sprinkle around to be able to have that, right? So that's, that's sol solving a problem. Uh, um, with high noon, you know, obviously we're way ahead now and we can, we can pull back, but there, there <laughs> we'll get just, there. It was just, yeah, it just was an un underserved genre that it's like, there's people that clearly have, there's an audience. There are people that have this affinity and that affinity, but those, those affinities are split. How can you combine them together to be able to have a passion on top of another passion and people yep. are, and that's another thing when you think about a product and you think about an audience, I like passionate people. I like people that, you know, because when you're passionate about something, you, you, you spend an irrational amount of money on it. Like, I love my kids, right? right. So I'm going to put my kids through college and pay for the weddings. I ain't doing that for anybody else's kid, right? So obviously, as a parent, I'm very passionate about providing. So I like, you know, toys are, do really well, right? Religious things do super well. Sure. Uh, you know, There's games passion. do super well. You know, there's anything that has yep. a passion around it, you're going to find people that are going to want to continue buying into it on a rational basis. Right. You hit on a key point there is solving a problem. I see a lot of people, whether it's trying to do FBA or even general business, it's just about generating revenue and it's not yeah. actually about solving a problem. So you're able to apply that same mindset to FBA. You, there's no, there's no, if you don't, if you're not solving a problem, you're adding no value. If you're thinking about just generating income and just having a product, most people are always thinking about them. And, and you really, you really have to stop thinking about you and, and, and you have to be thinking about the other person because then when you're offering that value, you know, like uh, on Amazon, if you get a negative feedback, people freak out on that stuff. I don't, I don't mind if I get a negative feedback, that's an opportunity for me to explore where, what mark did we miss? They yes. might be angry. They might be, they might be mad. They might be cussing me out, but the, what's the root cause of that, of that concern? And that's why we pulled out of wet beats because there, we were running into uh, a 5% return rate that we couldn't solve. I'm not, I don't, I didn't make the circuitry of that. I don't know how to fix that issue, you sure. know? So it was something that we just moved away from. So then that way, you know, we moved into things that didn't require electronics because then that way, if there was a problem that came up, Oh, that's how I solve it. Here's the fix, you know, and let's keep going and, and improving, you know, what we got going on. So. Okay. Well, good. That gives us a good idea on how you're selling the products or how you're choosing the products. Let's talk about the um, logistics behind the scenes. So you have to source the products. You mentioned China. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to build a relationship with a manufacturer. Yeah. Um, how does, how do you start that process? Um, there's a website called Alibaba, right? So yep. Alibaba is a, is a huge conglomerate. It's actually the largest e-commerce site in the planet. Most people think Amazon is, but no, like, Amazon is the earth. Alibaba is Jupiter, if not even the sun in relation to the amount of volume that they do. But what it does is it connects you to all the uh, factories, the hundreds of thousands of factories that, that are in China and even around the world, Vietnam and, you know, and all that other stuff. Um, uh, so, so that's where we started. We looked there, we, we pulled in a bunch of samples uh, and then you just, you learn it along the way. We picked up a guy uh, who became our sourcing agent so, so now I don't go on Alibaba or anything anymore. When I need something found in China, I, I have, we have a team now over there that, that goes to the factories, conducts sure. audits, 
Um, I still handle the negotiation, but if there's any translation needs, but that the first start there is, is like Ali is a really basic start. That's simple for everybody to, to get a, a hold of is reaching out through, through Alibaba and then furthering a relationship from there. Sure. And can you find businesses like, does Alibaba have like ratings reviews of certain manufacturers? So you can kind of cut through the cloud a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, Alibaba is like the wild west of websites, right? So, I mean, there's, there's a wide variety of just absolute crap that that's on there. So there's, there is certainly a vetting process, right? And Alibaba mm-hmm. has like star ratings and, and, uh, uh, I can't remember all the different because I just haven't been on it in years. But there, there, there's different processes of certification that that they can say that yes, we've inspected them. They actually have a real business. There is a real factory because what a lot of times what people do is there there's there's manufacturers and then there's traders. A manufacturer is a company that actually does the producing, yep. but then a trader is somebody that has the connection with the manufacturer and they're just brokering it on behalf. They're doing all the negotiations. They're just acting as a middleman, which I've done for hundreds of products, you know, my, myself on. Um, mm-hmm. But but that's, that's more or less the process. You want to focus um, initially, you want to focus on working with the manufacturer. As you go on, you're going to need a, a, an agent, whether he's internal or external, you're going to need somebody that can, more more effectively manage all these different relationships on your behalf and now we we have a company there's a company that we have a relationship down in uh, uh texas called gemba that that now we we're embracing a relationship with them to to handle all, all those needs in china for us so. got it okay i could see how when you first start out in this you're going to be questioning the quality of the product if you've never done fba before that's probably one of those big concerns but i assume once you can find somebody that creates quality products you can kind of rely on them for other products is that right yeah there's a lot of trial and error this is not the here's the, the flaw you go on alibaba you make a transaction you think it's that simple right so you get a sample that's sent over to you uh, and you, everything looks good you know uh, um but then you might re- you got to remember this is international law this is international regulations there's a lot of compliance that's on there. We were going to get into the, uh, we were going to do a deodorant. Um, so I was getting samples of, of a deodorant that had like a little bit, it was, it had, it had more aluminum in it. And cause I, I have hyperhidrosis. So I wanted to be able to solve that hyper, I sweat a lot. So I wanted to be able to solve that functionally solve that problem. When you're bringing in things on a sample individual basis, that's different than if you're bringing over a thousand units. One is for personal use, the other is for commercial use. Wow. And a lot of people get stuck on that, you know, even if it's something that you don't even think because China, it's not like Amazon. Amazon has to know the laws in the United States. China is under no obligation to know. That's not their job is right. to, to protect you. Their job is to sell and it's you to know. So there's a ton of people that have had their orders seized you know, and, and all, you know, and all that other stuff. And that's why, you know, obviously I, I, we've had inventory seized for having, you know, not having the proper paperwork sure. and all this other stuff. So those are compliance when you're going overseas, that's probably the first thing that you need to get right. You know, so, the, to, so then that way you can start, if, if you have a product idea or a concept or a problem that you want to solve, you want to make the first thing you should ask, it, can I actually bring this into the country? Or, or maybe this genus of bamboo is on the ban list right now. And, and now I, not only can I not bring it into the country, I now have to be charged for the government to destroy that particular inventory that, that is, I've seen that has not happened to us, but I've seen that 
a thousand dollar order turn into a seven thousand dollar mistake you know yep. so yeah let's take a quick commercial break have you ever lost money in the stock market have you ever listened to someone you know heard a comment online or tried to follow a trend and still ended up losing money if so you're not alone a lot of people lose money in the stock market because they make decisions based on emotions what if you could completely remove emotions from investing what if you could make consistent returns in the stock market based solely on logic and what if there's a software that handled that logic for you i would like to introduce ticker ticker makes investing easier smarter and faster before ticker launched it was back tested through the 2008 recession here are those surprising results in 2008 the market dropped by 38 percent ticker was up 24 percent in 2009 the market went up by 23 percent ticker was up 72 percent and in 2010 the market went up by 12 percent ticker was up 96 percent Ticker allows you to find great investments before they become mainstream news. It helps you understand when to buy and when to sell, and it clearly defines why a stock is a great investment, providing you with the confidence to make a great decision. Get started today with a free trial. Visit ticker.pro. That's T-Y-K-R.pro. Again, ticker.pro. We could really deep dive. This is such a cool business model because once you have it set up it's pretty much running on autopilot if you're selling these products on amazon right so while there are things that you can automate there are processes that always need to be monitored like so you can't there's not a, a situation that you can just step away from and let it do its own thing it becomes easier obviously once you've already established the market and reordering but if mm -hmm. you don't monitor you don't pay attention you could all you could just find yourself out of the market all of a sudden because maybe the market shifted or, or whatnot so you need software you need people to be able to do that so me this is what i do for a living you know i'm in my bedroom this is my office essentially i'm on my computer i'm on my phone sure. I'm on my iPad. i i made a decision that like if I'm gonna build businesses, I wanna be able to do it anywhere in the world, no matter of my choosing. I wanted to be able to say I can build this in my bedroom. Yeah. And, and obviously there's limitations that I have in doing that, so then I leverage the use of other people. So for me, things are automated and, 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 and more on a passive basis, but, but that's because I've entrusted and, and compensate other people to take over those tasks that otherwise need to be done, if, if, that, if that makes sense. But there's constant, yep. there's constant, day-to-day -day work that needs to be done. I, I could imagine. The monitoring, as soon as you said that, it triggered right back to the uh, compliance and the, the legal hoops you got to jump through with this type of business. Which it's, it's, And that's the thing. It is a business. I know that when you, if you spend any time on YouTube or anything like that, FBA, anytime you have a business that anybody can start, you always get the perpetuation that it's easy and it's passive and it's all these things and usually these guys are selling you some big ticket course two thousand five thousand oh, yeah. you know, like thirty thousand you know being being sold on that but the reality is is that for people to be successful you, you really have to come in it like hey this is a business like i'm in a group uh, called million dollar sellers mds and we've all done we still do you know uh, at least seven figures a year in revenue on on the amazon space mm -hmm. and the, the common the commonality that we all have is that we treat it like business. We have CFOs and you know, we have you know, you know, marketing teams and we have all, we've structured it like this while most people, uh, um, and it's just very true, nearly 
all people that start in the business, they put the work on themselves because they're so used to being the employee. So right. then they're only capped at the, the expanse of what they individually can do. And then they get burned out. That's why people burn out. They quit. They do. They start doing the next thing. And so some serial entrepreneurs are psychopaths. They keep doing one thing that didn't work. <laughs> then they do the next thing. It didn't work. They do the next thing. It didn't work until you right. find something that, that, that can finally work. And sometimes you have to do that. You know, obviously I've been through, you know, my own, my own share of businesses, but it, they've always been predicated on that same thing. What did I learn? How can I improve it? You know, how can I get better? And now whether I do something good or bad, I, I have, I literally have no regrets because it's like, okay, I made this mistake. Okay. Now, like I just learned this concept the other day. I had a, a one of my partners say to me, uh, I'm, I'm loyal to a fault. And, and you think that that sounds very good, but what happens there is the loyalty that he, that he had was detrimental to him. And if you're going to be loyal to anything, you need to be loyal to the goal, loyal to your goal. And as you're making the decisions progressing for that, the people that you love, get to come with you on, on that journey as opposed to being, I don't want anybody loyal to me. I want them to be loyal to what it is that they want to be able to accomplish. And if, if we happen to have the same direction at the same time, then maybe we can start, we can start doing something from that particular perspective. So, sure. And that's a lesson sure. I learned never to yeah. trust people that are loyal to a fault. <laughs> <laughs> we'll learn learn from our mistakes, right? Yeah. I got to touch on your previous comment about there is no such thing as true passive income. And, and that is true to a degree because every business that has a passive income stream requires a ton of work upfront to even get there. Correct. But, it's, Correct. but it sounds like you're very good at finding good people. I mean, you have a recruiting company underneath your umbrella as well. Um, so you know how to find good talent. You know how to empower them to do great work. So they win. And of course, you win. Yeah. And that, I like that you said that because like everything that we do, there needs to be a win-win. Like everybody has to feel like they want. So like a lot of times when I, when I come to the negotiate, the negotiate, I'll give you a really good example. Like sure. uh, we wanted to get into grocery distribution, but I, we do it out of our home. I, I am fortunate to have a fairly large house. So like our bottom uh, first floor is pretty much a 800 square foot warehouse, right? But we're, a, a, we're a, a house. So when you're dealing with these grocery distributors, why do the trucks going up to a house? That, none of that made sense to them. So I needed to be able to find the value. What, what's the win-win scenario? Well, I found out that these guys, when they sell to grocery stores, that if they, the grocery stores doesn't sell them, they're forced to buy it back. I, I found out that they had 30, 60, 90 day, uh, uh, um, I can't remember the terminology, like the wait time, like, yeah, it's slipping my mind, that where there's like a, a wait time that, hey, you get the inventory first, a net, net payments, like net 30, net 60, net, oh, net 90. Sure. Where you, you get the inventory first, and then now you have an opportunity to sell it before you pay back your vendor. Well, that's a shitty way of doing business, right? So when I got into that arena, I sat down with them and I said, Hey, look, yeah, you know, like they're asked, they're like, how do you sell groceries on Amazon? I'm like, well, let's not worry about that. I was like, here's what I can do. It's like everything that you have profitable, I'm going to buy at least one case of. So now I'm going to mm -hmm. give, give them revenue. I'm going to pay you cash up front and anything I can't sell is on me. So now that I, now what do they have to say now? There's no, nothing to negotiate with because I just added a ton of value. I came in, they win, I win. And, and every, so yeah, win-win. If it's not win-win, I, I want nothing to do with it. Like nothing at all. Everybody has to feel like they, they came out ahead. E even if it's a, on, a, on a client perspective where they're the one that they gave money, they want to feel good that, hey, I gave this money. I got this thing in return that I feel good about. So I've won sure. it.
in that, in that respect as well. So there's common denominators I'm hearing, which are, you know, solve problems, number one, and two, make sure there's value provided to others, yeah. even before you really think about the value to yourself. Correct. Um, that seems like a foundational pattern through the businesses you've started. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it right. So let's, let's change gears a little bit here. We, we know you have a lot of businesses around the FBA space. I want to touch on just real briefly, you have a coaching business. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so so the coaching business isn't something that we overtly advertise. It's it's something that just within the network of, of uh, the best way to say it is I'm like really really popular amongst a very small group of people. You know, so there's like a hundred thousand sure. people out there on this planet that just I'm the greatest thing ever, right? So through that networking, they I people come to me uh, with their problems, and initially I just helped them out. But as those people kept coming, you got to start charging for your time. So so. Yeah, I I offer coaching and consulting to all measures of businesses, to all sizes, from people starting out all the way to people that, you know, I've had, I've had people call me from China as they're, as they're working with a manufacturer, trying to figure out solutions. I'm just a very good problem solver. So, so for me on that basis, uh, um, I think that's the attraction is that like people don't pay me for me to tell them what to do. They, they run by me what I think. And then I, I say, okay, this is the problem. Sure. Let's look at the root cause of that problem and let's, let's address that. And then let's see, and I'm going to sidetrack here for a second because I think a lot of times when people are looking at problems, they, they, don't, they, don't under, they don't fully understand the problem. They're looking at the problem and they say, well, what's the solution? So then they say, hey, anybody else? Uh, who else is also having this problem? Oh, you have this problem? What's your solution? What did you do? Because I need to solve that. But the problem is, is actually a problem in and of, of itself because the problem is the symptom of what the root cause is actually causing. So a lot of times if you're seeking a, a solution that somebody else did, that's going to jack you up. So that's the conversation I always have. What's the root cause? And then once you can solve that, then the problem seemingly goes away and then you got to go focus on the next problem. And if you don't have a problem to solve, you don't have a business. Problem is not a bad word. It's a very good word because you have to solve the next problem to be able to move forward. And so many people try to run away from their problems, avoid the problems, and they really need to be able to embrace them. But back, back to you. <laughs> oh, that, that's great. Can you give us, do you charge like a custom fee or per it's, client or do you have a range? How does it work? Flat out, it's, it's 250 an hour. So it's like, you know, but then I usually give sure. people like a 15 minute uh, call on the front end. So it's like, hey, if you don't, hey, don't give me anything. Let's talk. And one, I want to identify if they are able to be in a position for me to help them. Because there are, the biggest thing that I need to have is people that are coachable and people that are willing to be able to do what is necessary. Uh, A lot of times people are looking for the easiest solution. So when I present them what they need to do, they don't like it because it's difficult. Maybe they have to have that conversation. Maybe they have to do this. Maybe they have to lose money on the front end to gain money on the back end. You know, and and so there's people that I turn away on that basis because they're sure. just narrow of thought. But if, if things work out and things work well, I usually then within that 15, sometimes it stretches to a half hour, I give them something to do. You know, so I'm like, okay, now go do this. Yep. And then I wait for them to hear back. You know, and some people, if I hear back from them, okay, good. They did that. Now let's move forward. Let's talk about what coaching would look like. Let's talk about how often we, we need to speak. Let's talk about that level of communication because coaching is the only thing that literally requires me and all of my time. 
you know, yes. I, I, I don't get to outsource that. I mean, I could, but it doesn't. Is it going to be done as well? Probably not. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and when it comes, because when it comes to my mind, it's my own mind. You know, I can't fully, mm-hmm. I tried to, and I, but it never works out the same because I, it's me. You, you know what I mean? I mean, I know I'm right. patting myself on the back, but, you know, at some point I have to, where it's like, you know, I'm doing all right. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm allowed to have the confidence behind that now. So. Sure. Well, you've, you've got many years of experience building and probably trying products that did not work in the FBA space that fail, analyze why they fail. Well, it's, you can replicate that to business in general. It's like, why did it fail? Okay. Yeah. Let's sure. analyze that and break it down. So if people are coming at you with similar problems. It seems very oh, straightforward. It's, there's a methodology of problem solving. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you're a dentist or you're selling toothbrushes on Amazon. There's problems that need to be solved, and the methodology of solving the problem is effectively the same. You know, yep. so it's it's yeah, and that's so yeah, coaching ain't a, ain't a problem. So. Do you try to cap yourself with the amount of time you spend on coaching? Because you just yeah. said what I was getting at is it's the, it's the service business. It's not a leveraged income stream, right? Yeah. It's, so what do you it, cap at? So I cap at usually about 10 to 15 hours a week, you know, you know, you. you know, on that. And sometimes it's even less than that. It really just depends on, on what I want. You know, right now it's a, a little bit lower because I have other projects that I need to be working on. So I, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've just ended some relationships and whatnot so we can pick it up, sure. you know, pick it up later. But the coaching aspect of it is something that I, I enjoy. I really enjoy doing it. And if I put too much into it, it's going to take away from things that ultimately are going to get me toward, towards where, where I want to go. Um, or if it becomes too much of a job, then it's the one. So it's, it's a fun, it's fun for me. It's, you know, obviously sure. I profit from it, but it's also very beneficial. I mean, I've, I, there, I have scores of people now over these years that have, you know, they send me their sales revenues that, you know, people have made over seven figures working with me consistently. 20,000 a month, 30,000 a month, 40,000 a month. Now this is sales revenue. This isn't like actual net, right. Have, net profit. But right. you know, which some people get confused on, but that's still, if you have a business an at home business where you're generating like an extra $30,000 a month, even if you're at when it's all said and done, even if you're taking home five grand, maybe 10 grand a month, you've done really good for yourself on, on like a little side hustle, you know? Right. So yeah, I got a, that's, and that's why, I guess that's why I like doing it because I, I like, it reassures that I'm giving good back into the world. You know, when I get that mm-hmm. message, like, Hey man, you really, you really helped me out. So. Sure. And I'm sure, you know, it's, it's building a network at the same time, you know, people are coming to you and, and they know somebody and they know somebody and they can, you know, it just spreads like wildfire if you provide good value. Yeah, absolutely. Place, right? absolutely. And it allows me to be more of me. Like I'm unapologetically Sean Cannon. You know, for all the, all the good and the bad of it, right? But it, but my intentions are actually pure. So that's also a good mm-hmm. asset test that I have with people because I'm I am I'm not the norm, you know. You know, and and it's like if they so if they look at me two dimensionally, they're not going to be able to get to the value, you know. So it's like so I only work with people that like you know like I remember you know I meet up with people and they're like man you really are a nice guy. I'm like yeah I am. Like what do you why did you well because what did I, you think differently? On Facebook, you wrote this, and then you're saying that. I'm like, yeah, that's that's a Facebook post. That's not me. <laughs> yeah. right. but, but but either way, but yeah, I'm on a, and I I think everybody should be unapolog- unapologetically whoever they are, and and but most people, 
I find that they wake up and put on the face of who they want other people to see them as, you know, and that's, and that's something that to a degree, I, I struggle with that too, because you know, obviously everybody wants to be liked, but I, I'm being so far removed from them now that like, I don't know what embarrassment feels like anymore. You know, I, I don't worry. I don't really have a lot of worries in terms of people's opinions and perceptions on me because I know my intentions are pure. Right. And if they have a problem with that, I have to then make a decision if that's my problem to solve or if that's just their problem that's not even for me to solve. So. Yeah, that, that's a lesson to learn jumping outside even the world of business, and that is stop caring what other people think, oh, you, right? You, it's, it you can spend hours dwelling on yeah. something that provides no value. Nothing, yeah. yeah. Or, make, or make very bad decisions based on your emotional aspects of other people's opinions, too. There you go. It, exactly, exactly. Let's take a quick commercial break. The backstory on Ticker has a not-so-glamorous, humble beginning. I've been investing for the last 10 years, but the first five years, I focused only on angel investing. In other words, I would invest time or money in private tech startups with a goal in mind to sell that tech startup for a 10x multiple. Needless to say, that's a lot easier said than done. In fact, I never achieved that result. I actually lost money 90% of the time. After five years of consistent losses, I had to make a change. What I was doing wasn't working. Since I couldn't find success as an angel investor in the private market, I took a step back and turned my attention to the public market, but I took a different approach. See, I knew billionaire investors did not guess their way to the accumulation of massive wealth. They don't use emotions, feelings, and beliefs. They use logic, and the foundation of logic is math. This is when I decided to read as many boring investment books as I could to see if I could understand that math. See, publicly traded companies have historical data you can use to calculate the trajectory of a business. I applied my software engineering background to create an algorithm and within the same year, I achieved a 15% return compared to the market average of 6%. And then went on to refine the algorithm and achieve returns ranging between 15% in 50% over the next few years. Then things got really interesting. In the summer of 2019, I backtested ticker through the 2008 recession, and in 2008, the S&P 500 went down 38%, while ticker went up 24%. I then backtested ticker from 1999 through 2019, and ticker has proven to beat the market every year. The lowest return was 10%, and the highest return was 96%. That is the moment when I decided I can't keep this algorithm for myself. I need to turn this into a platform to share with others. That's when I decided to create Ticker. If you're looking to make significantly higher returns in the market, Ticker is perfect for you. Go ahead and get signed up with a free trial. Visit ticker.pro. I want to transition to high noon. So I'm just going to give a little context here. I've been following Sean on high noon for what seems like at least six months, nine months, something like that. And it's a tactical board game. And when I started looking at the, the instructions and directions and everything that went into to build this thing, it is the most elaborate board game I've ever seen. It looks so well thought out. So how, this interview on the board game could go on for hours because I've got yeah. so many questions. We want to hit the fun parts here. So yeah. you've got a team, like a, a few, uh, what do you call them, co-owners in this entity? Yeah, so wait, like, there's, there's, there's partners, there, there's, we have investors, we have just flat out employees and whatnot. So we came into this okay. not looking to do a board game, but looking to do an entire company, 
right? You know, so so uh, um, that's that's what we did. So we put we put together a team. You know, I was going to head up marketing. We had uh, we have operations. We have design. We have creative. You know, we have all these. We have the team, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, we just went to work. I'm not the inventor or creator of High Noon. That is a a, a friend of mine, Dwight Cenac the second. Uh, he's down in Florida. Um, we had some other business together. Um, and when I went down there, he had just created, I, I was like, let's, I was like, you know, we should start creating board games. That's what I said. I was like, well, we're going to start creating board games. And he was like, well, I got some ideas. So I went down to Florida, played it. And at the time it was just paper, folded paper. And, and I was like, wow, this is a really good game. You know? And then, and then I was like, let's, I was like, let's do it. Let's bring it to market. So then I came back another, like six months later and he, had, he and I was like, where are we with this thing? I was like, what's taking this so long? And then, uh, um, and that's where I just took over. I was like, look, let's get this funded. I made some phone calls. We raised $200,000 over the weekend. Uh, and then, that, then we were in business. And I said, let's leverage this. Let's get some market exposure. Let's develop a Kickstarter campaign. So we, you know, we de- you know, developed a Kickstarter campaign, got things going. I wanted to, again, create the audience going into the Kickstarter campaign. So I started a Facebook group and a Facebook page. Uh, you know, I used a lot of meme marketing and, you know, stuff like that. I was sure. looking, connecting to the audience and finding out what they wanted, what they didn't want. So we could start crafting this. And then, yeah, we, we, you know, we, we didn't do like a million, five million dollars in one day that everybody wants to do, but we funded in, in two days, you know, funded like, I think it's like a 90,000 or something like that. We'll probably mm-hmm. end up around two, $300,000, which is a good amount of change. I took $200,000, developed an entire team. And if I then end up at the end of the day, but, you know, still enough money to be able to get the game going, yet then another $100,000, I leverage my yep. time as well as my money very well to get right back into it. And we're going to do another subsequent launch of a second variation of High Noon immediately after the first one where we're going to pull back a lot of the, the miniatures to get the costs down. So then sure. that way we can then get a game that's, you know, 100 to $150 as opposed to one that's now all the way up to $300 for people that, don't necessarily need all the high quality detail of the, you know, the miniatures and, you know, what have you. Sure. So, yeah, you know, so big plans for that. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into the, the story of the game and, and how it's played sure. and, and whatnot sure. in a second. Yeah. I want to talk about the start. So most entrepreneurs don't think about, Hey, I'm going to start a board game. Everybody's thinking about a new website or app or tech business. Right. So when you were thinking about this at the beginning, you know, I'm assuming you had the relationships with the FBA business to manufacture these pieces and parts. So you already had a good idea what the costs on a board game would be. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Like there, that's the one thing that I, the, the Amazon, every job that I've ever had has gave me some type of skill set to where I'm at now, which is a really weird, I'm turning 41 next month. Right. So i still feel like I'm the same dumbass I've been my entire life. But then when you think back of it, you know, I'm like, wow, I've really been in sales and marketing to some degree for like the last 20 some years. If even longer, I was 12 years old going door to door selling mm-hmm. cookies. Okay, so I got that stupid story, you know, that cliche story, but it's still true. So now when you fast forward, every time I'm thinking of a solution, I'm always relating it to something in the past that I've learned where I was like, well, in this instance, I found this to be true. And, and I don't know, I know it might not directly apply, but let's utilize the lessons and the methodology to make the decisions that we need to be making um, moving forward. So it's constantly improving. What kind of audience did you start thinking about? Hey, it's going to be this specific audience. Can you tell us about that? 
Well, the original. So you have to. You, we found it, right? So, so the the original plan that the, the the what Dwight had wanted is he wanted a family game. He wanted a family game where you know you get the kids involved and all that stuff, and that's fine. I didn't think that it was going to necessarily be that type of fit because you're dealing with guns and killing mm-hmm. and all this other stuff and mature theme, you know. But I, I was like, I, 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 what happens is when a lot of people come to a point where they have conflicting decisions, it doesn't resolve anything. So you need to find a neutral balance that can make that decision for you. And Facebook is a wonderful process to be able to do that. Facebook advertising, they have a, this, this uh, uh, type of ad called brand sure. awareness where you can just throw out the ad, hey, here's some stuff on this game. And, and that will then tell us. That will tell us what, who, who is resonating with this, who's clicking on it, who's doing that. And we found that uh, it was, it was uh, 35 to 54-year-old men predominantly were interested in board games, which makes sense because my kids, I have 11 year old twin daughters. They've never asked me once to play a board game. It's iPad, iPhone. Sure. And now they just yesterday they're downloading Fortnite on the PS4. You know, they're not thinking about board games, anything I've ever played with them. I introduced, you know, to them, but there, there's this nostalgic value for my generation as, as well. You know, we're yep. the same age, you know, relative same age, you know, that they're still in a lure for board games. But the problem is I also grew up with video games. So Monopoly ain't too exciting. Mousetrap ain't too exciting. Red Dead Redemption, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, those are exciting types of things. So you, now you had to be able to bring that type of intensity into a board game format. So again, you're matching affinities. Yep. People that are attracted to board games, people that want the high intensity of a high impact game. And then we added the, the Wild West on top of that, because really we, this could have been anything. This could have been a fire game, this could have been a space game. But we decided on the Wild West because it was something that's consistent mm-hmm. in the marketplace that everybody loves, doesn't like the Wild West to some degree. You know, True. Old Town Road is real popular in genre. So then we stacked yet another affinity on top of that to get the buzz that we needed. You know, so, Let's yeah. dovetail right into the, how is this game played? Like, tell us about the game a little bit. Sure. So, so how the game works is it's, it's, a, it's a skirmish tactical player versus player type of game. We wanted to recreate a shootout. So you, you have a town, you have, you have these tiles that create the map of the town. It's mm-hmm. grid-based, and you have different posses. You select the posse. There's posses of different sizes, shapes, backstories, all types of stuff. So you have, like, the Lawman and the Leroy Gang and, you know, the Bandera mm-hmm. Blondes and Zork. And that, all these characters are rich characters that are are worthy of their own stories and you want to play them all, but they all have conflict with each other. Right. So as, as such as a shootout. So how it starts off is the Leroy gangs in the bank, getting ready to rob the bank, the Colonel Rogers and his boys, one of them got arrested uh, and they're sitting in the jail. So they're going to go bust them out. And along the way you have the Maqua uh, native native American tribe that has, has been stalking, Rogers for the last few days and they finally caught up to him so you have this marriage of just chaos that's ready to ensue so uh, so what's interesting is we have we have we brought a data scientist on board to balance the game because we wanted to make sure that maybe just because you have a posse of five doesn't mean that you're better than the posse of two we have posses of one guy you know so that one individual guy is obviously independently much stronger but he's no more collectively stronger than the team sure. of five, if that makes totally. any sense. And we had to create every, 
everybody's got different moves. Everybody's got different cards. It, it's, it reminds me of like Mortal Kombat, you know, where you have this myriad of different characters, but people tend to only play one because they got good with the moves and they understood that one, you know, and, and I, we find the same way. It's a card-based game, so all of your moves mm -hmm. are dependent on the cards that you're playing your cards, and that's for your attack and defense, you know, and it's, it's so it creates – there's a ton of strategy into it. So it's a, it's a relatively easy game to play. I, I relate it to chess where in a day you can learn yep. chess. This piece moves like this, this piece moves like that. But obviously there's a world of world champions on that. So we, we developed a game around that where if you have good skill and good strategy, you will prevail. But, and that requires you to have a, a really good understanding of the moves and how to use the moves together even against other characters and opponents. So what it's reminded me of, I grew up playing video games like most guys, but I played a lot of real-time strategies. So I played Command & Conquer as well as StarCraft. And these games were all about yeah. the same premise as you have a quote-unquote posse, a team, and you have to achieve some goal together. And one team yeah. can be weak or strong against another. Individual players can be stronger than others. Um, it was a ton of fun, of course. And then a college started and video games were <laughs> pushed away but uh i saw this game i'm like this is like command and conquer like on a board game yeah it's it's, it's there's very there's a lot of that's my point it's like we put a video game yeah. in a board game so to speak we we and i mean we're not the first sure. to do things like this i mean obviously our game design is unique of its type but when you go into the board game space there's a lot of very intricate and involved games that are out there but because of the nature and the scope of them, they're not very right. easy to learn. You know, you really have to dive in. And we didn't want something where, like, it takes two hours to read the rule book <laughs> to figure out how to play sure. it. You know, we wanted something relatively simple. And then along the way, you're just asking questions as you're already playing it. Like, how does cover work? How does, can I shoot through a wall? You know, you know basic, sure. basic type of questions like that, as opposed to, like, some economic or mathematical sure. structure. Well, that's awesome. You brought in a data scientist, which, you know, when I was reading the instructions and diving into the characters and, and you guys should read through these character cards to see the amount of storytelling that went into each individual character. It's yeah. incredible yeah. detail. You can be attached to certain people, like certain characters, like you would in a video game. Like, Hey, this is, this is my guy. This is my girl. Right. That's, that's awesome. So ton of props there. Let's talk about the economics a little bit. On the Kickstarter, just to refresh, you heard me say earlier, $75,000 raised within 24 hours, and they're selling at a starting point of, what, $89, something like that? Yeah, so we, so we, have, we have three tier levels. So all Kickstarter works is you, you donate yep. us money, um, and in exchange, we give you rewards. Those rewards are based on the level of donation mm -hmm. that you provided for. So that starts off at $89. I think the second one is $169. And then $279 is the largest. All of three are complete games. You know, uh, so a lot of times people are concerned about getting the low end because they think that they're missing out on the big end. And that's not, that's not true at all. The, the core game is actually that's what's going to be in the yep. retail level. You know, that's, that's, that's the retail game. Everything else is an expansion or an iteration that we're we plan on adding at the at the retail level in future phases but obviously we wanted the joy of kickstarter is getting the vip treatment you get things that sure. nobody else could potentially get 
you get it first. And so we're bringing, packing a lot of that, a lot of that in there now, which drives the price yep. up, of course, you know, so now you, you know, but you, yeah. But you what are the costs against that? So it be, nobody makes money on, on a Kickstarter. I'll say, I'll say it like that. Right. So, so the purpose, the purpose of, of the Kickstarter is to bring a product to market because and I'm not going to go too deep into all the financials and stuff like that, but, sure. but just know that like mold fees are pricey, you know, like, so like a single mold block of mold, you're looking at like 10, 15, $20,000, you know, and you try to fit as many miniatures as you you get in there. But yeah, you're looking at like a hundred, $200,000 just on the mold fees, you know, uh, on something that you have very expansive like that. So it's like, so you got to make sure that you have, you, you, you get all of that covered. Yep. You know? and so nobody, and again, you can make adjustments and changes to save money here and there. And maybe, you know, you use this plastic versus that plastic, and then you can come back and re-enhance it later or what have you. Uh, um, but yeah, so all that stuff coming in is pretty much going to production, you know, and getting our name out. So then that way, when everybody's satisfied and putting their reviews out there, when we go back to the retail launch, you know, now we, now we already are going into the retail launch with an established name brand that people are familiar with yep. when they, you look up high noon right now, high noon, Kickstarter, high noon, whatever you'll, 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 you'll see other variants of the high noon name, but you for sure will see, you know, our, you know, the high noon, the board game. Mm-hmm. What is your goal? Like what I think about a board game, I think about, I don't even know where to land. So I'm going to land at 50% margins so let's say 90 bucks if you're charging retail does that cost 45 bucks with all the paper and the plastic no, and the I mean, the, the the thing is the the initial costs are i didn't mean to catch up but i i, I knew you're getting it uh, sure. um, um the initial costs are the most expensive because you got you have to develop the infrastructure once all that is done costs drop dramatically sure. the the what's interesting about board games is that yeah there is after those initial costs there's very high margins because you're, you're truly just dealing with plastic and paper. You know I mean? It's, it's like this, this is paper. This is a napkin. It's virtually worth nothing. But if I just added a little bit of durability, told a story, put a map on there, now this could be a $5 item. But it's still paper, yep. which is obviously very, very attractive and appealing uh, because then you, you, can, you can drive in a lot of margin to start scaling and, and doing, you know, I got big plans. You know, I want, I, I want high noon. You know, I want it to be big, you know, and plus, and plus I want to, I want to do other things too. So, you know, I, 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 I enjoy building up companies. I don't, I don't, once they're kind of up and going, I'm always looking for the next thing, you know, you know, not in a, not in any negative way, but I just, I'm enjoying it. So I, I make sure that when I build it up, I've loaded them up with everything that, you know, here's the systems, here's what you have in place. That's what, mm-hmm. that's what you got going on. I'm going to go start working on the next thing. And then if you need me, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, now totally. you consult with me or, or whatnot. And that's, that's, I think that's going to be my gravitation of where, of where I, I'm, of, of how I see, of how I see the progression of, of how, of the direction of where I'm going. Sure. Okay. Um, I always think about when you have a product is through, like I, I'm in the tech space. So you think about channel partners to distribute what are you thinking about like as far as a distribution channel are you looking at like a target or yeah, walmart everything. everything so you know obviously i got amazon to solve so i'm not worried about amazon right. uh, uh, so the biggest thing there is i'm not really looking at walmarts or targets first um i would rather have them approach me um I, what i'm looking at is i'm looking at all the underserved there's a ton of board game stores that just don't get love 
you know, it's a very hard business to, to, to it's, a, it's a hard business to profit in. It's a huge labor of love. Most game stores are run by the owners, you know, you know, sure. and, and whatnot. So for them, I want to be able to bridge that gap and, and, and provide for them uh, a, a variant of high noon that can only be bought at those game stores. And then, and then Amazon and Walmart, they can have the $50 version or something like that, you know, some slimmed down version to, to make them happy. Uh, and that's, so Walmart would be obviously a cool place to be, but that's, that I, I want to be able to be in a position that when we approach Walmart, um, there's no, there's no, who there's are no you down? Yeah. They already yeah. know. They, I want them to approach me and that they do that. Walmart has buyers. So obviously sure. they're always out looking for new products and whatnot to be able to do things with. And I've had friends that have been approached, you know, by Walmart. So I think that that's, I want to be able to develop a company that's picking up the interests of others so then that they want to work with me. And then that makes the negotiations a lot easier. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the logistics here before we end. Can you find one company to do the board game, the pieces, the paper, and bundle everything together? No? Okay. <laughs> I mean, you could, but then you're going to be paying through the nose because they're, 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 they're going to end up trading it. So you might have yes. this company that's doing a box and then they're then doing their own outsourcing. And you can't really rely on that because everybody's got different quality control measures and stuff like that. Um, so for, for a while, we, I used to send a team over to China once a year to, to, to you know, do all that stuff. And then we had the team that's existing out there. But I'm using a company now down in, they're called Gemba, G-E-M-B-E-A. Uh, I'm developing a relationship with them uh, for that. They're handling all of that. So I say, this is what I need. And, and then they go and find all the different factories, manage those relationships. Got because then now that cost narrows when you're dealing directly with all of those manufacturers, getting it all combined. So it's, a, it's an undertaking. You're dealing with multiple, multiple. You don't want – everybody's got the one thing that they're good at. You don't want the guy that's doing a little bit of everything. You know? Good so. point. Yeah, otherwise they have leverage on you and they can charge more. Yeah, absolutely. Right. All right, last part here. Rapid fire round. 15 sure, seconds yeah. or less. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> there we go. Favorite podcast? Joe Rogan. Favorite book or, or a book you would recommend that you recently read? Uh, recently read? Uh, uh, I, I'm going to say a four-hour work week, but recently read um, uh, uh, Good to Great. Anything by Jim Collins is awesome. Right on. Nice. Favorite movie? Uh, Goonies. Nice. Favorite food? Uh, sushi. How many hours of sleep do you get? I don't need eight hours. I never sleep eight hours. So, so usually four to six is probably more realistic. Okay. Last question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit? What would you say? Oh my God. I would, I, uh, I'd probably go back. To, I, I had not, I did not have a good childhood. You know, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I don't know. That's a whole other story but I would probably go back to that kid like 10, 13 and be like, just take it. Cause it's all going to be worth it. You know, you know what I mean? Just, it's all going to be worth it. And that's probably, I would, there's nothing in my life that I would want to change because I'm, I'm regret is when you're not happy with who you are, you know, and, and there's nothing that I would, I would want to change at all. So, so probably like 10 to 10 to 13, 10, 10 years old, probably a good age. All right. That's a wrap folks. So at this point, I'll turn it over to you. What is the best way people can reach out to you? I'm on Facebook. We got the D-Bag Life. So if you go to 
If you go to facebook.com forward slash debate life, you can reach out to me. I go by Sean Michael, uh, mostly on, on the internet, but my name is Sean Cannon. You can reach out to me direct as well at the debate life at gmail.com. Awesome. All right, Sean, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Payback Time podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please provide a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. If you'd like to hear an interview from someone specific, please make a comment on the Payback Time Facebook page. If you're interested in becoming an affiliate and earning 30% reoccurring commission for simply sharing Ticker, visit ticker.pro slash affiliates. Remember, this show is for entertainment purposes only. If you heard any stock mentioned on this podcast episode, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is copyright protected by Payback Time. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Oh,